Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with you, Odia, and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understandings, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now we're going to just talk a little bit about what verse 4 says. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Uh, Rejoice. We want to be happy. We want to experience joy. I know there's a kind of perception of being a Scottish Calvinist Presbyterian that you're not happy unless you're miserable, um, which you've got to try and work that one out. But we, happiness, joy is surely something that we all want, and we get fleeting glimpses of it in different ways. I think our society really wants joy. Let me read a a couple of comments from the Scotsman by a guy called Roddy Martin. He says this, society's obsession with celebrity for its own sake, he's talking about Big Brother, is a sign that people's lives are deeply unfulfilling. So many people's lives now seem totally empty. The majority of people don't know who their neighbors are. They don't really interact with the community they live in but they seem to be fascinated by this senseless glamour which is going on in TV and the internet. Another man called Tobias Jones in his book Utopian Dreams, A Search for a Better Life, describes how he himself, everywhere I see cynicism and rampant individualism, empty consumerism and phony aspirations to better lifestyles, not, you will note, better lives. People want a better lifestyle not a better life. Now, what we're saying as Christians is that if you want to know real joy and real happiness and real peace, then it comes in Christ. Um, Cameron said, a lollipop makes him happy. It does. Uh, Watching Germany play yesterday against Argentina made me happy. It did. It was great to watch. Um, But unlike, we're going to look this evening at joy coming in the morning what most happens with the world's joys is that they, they disappear, and you always need something more and something extra. We're saying, as we look at this, or what Christians are saying, is that there is a real joy and an everlasting joy and a continual joy to be known in Jesus Christ. But here's the problem. We don't sometimes see that amongst ourselves or in ourselves. Paul has just urged in this chapter, he's writing to the Philippians, he's just urged Christians to agree in the Lord. Now he urges them to rejoice in the Lord. The whole of Christian living is a matter of the relationship with the living Jesus that enables us to agree and to rejoice. But sometimes we feel run down Sometimes we're dried out, sometimes the tank is empty, sometimes the last thing we want to be able to do, or the last thing we can do, it seems, is rejoice. 
So how do we do this? Let's, let's look at it. First of all, you'll notice the strange thing in verse 4. And it is very strange. We wouldn't do it. We just really, we, we would not say this. Be happy. Now, um, some of the children here, if you go on holiday and you're in the back of the car and you're driving a long distance, let's say you were driving out of Dundee and say for argument you're going to France and uh, you get to Invergowrie and you do the Shrek thing. You know, are we nearly there yet? Are we nearly there yet? The words that every parent dreads to hear until you are nearly there. But on the, maybe on a 12-hour journey after the first 20 minutes, are we nearly there yet? And what might happen is, not that it would ever happen in the Robertson household, but your dad might turn to you and say, be quiet, be happy, and enjoy yourself. You are enjoying yourself. Now, that seems just so strange. How can you tell somebody to enjoy themselves? You either are enjoying yourself or you're not. And for most of us as adults as well, the notion that we can be told to enjoy ourselves or to rejoice, it's a command. Rejoice in the Lord always. He repeats it. I will say it again. Rejoice. Is that not as strange as saying to a child, you will be happy or else you're in trouble? I mean, that doesn't really work. But that's the kind of impression that people have. The, the Lord is, I have, to, I have to rejoice. I have to be happy or I'm not a very good Christian. And so we, because we're not joyful, we go in a vicious circle of it makes us depressed that we're not happy. And then we seem to be getting a row. We've been told to almost it seems to cheer up. So what's been spoken of here and how can this be a command? The joy that's spoken of here is an ongoing and permanently renewed joy. It's rejoice always. It's not, yeah, you'll go through periods of happiness and you'll go through periods of sorrow. It's rejoice always. It's a command to the Christian to rejoice. Now, how does that work? You see up on the screen, I put think, will, and feel, or feel, will, and think. Let me just talk you through that. We are capable of thinking. We have minds. We have wills that we make decisions. We decide to do things, and we have, for want of a better word, we have heart. We have feelings. Now, the biblical way, if you like, is this. We need to think and to understand what is right and what is good, And then we commit our wills to do it. So we understand what's right. We understand what's good. We decide to do it. Our feelings are then molded by that. Our feelings, we we think, we understand, we do. And then our feelings are shaped by that. So our feelings are directed to what is good and right. Our feelings and emotions are not isolated from our thinking and our willing but are are guided by them. But the trouble is, in the world that we live in, in the culture that we live in, it's not like that. The order has been inverted. So we go feel, will, and think. Our wills are now dominated by our feelings. Our thoughts are now dominated by our feelings. Our thoughts are ruled by our wills. And what that means is this. It's very simple. Someone might feel, I don't feel like cleaning up my bedroom or washing the dishes. I don't feel like helping. I don't feel like, because I just don't feel like it. And so you go with your feelings. 
that then determines what you will, what you decide to do, and it determines what you think. Because you decide not to, to help somebody, you will not to do that, and then your feeling, your, your, your thinking then goes and ju- tries to justify that. Well, I didn't do it because. And it's the same in terms of, of many, many, many different things. So, for example, um, somebody might say, I don't feel like I'm in love with my wife or husband anymore. So they then will to go and do something else or to go and be with someone else. And then their thinking follows that. Whereas if you did it the other way around, you would think, well, here we're celebrating Becky and Pete getting engaged. When you get married, what is it? It is a commitment. you've, You've thought it through. You understand what you are doing. You are making a commitment. And that commitment determines what you do And what you do will then shape how you feel. The trouble is that if you follow the second model where you feel, will, and think, you can only rejoice when you feel good. That's the logical position. You only rejoice when you feel good. But if you follow the first model, you think, will, and feel, then you can actually rejoice even though at times you feel completely rotten. How is it possible then to rejoice at all times? And the answer is found in the verses that I've listed there uh, behind us. And we'll just go through them. If you've got a Bible, Philippians 1.18, and you'll see the common thread. Philippians 1.18 says this, What does it matter? The important thing that is in every way, whether from false motive or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Paul is in a horrible situation where he's in prison, where some people in the church are going out and preaching in order that they'll upset the local authorities in order that they will get Paul in trouble. So what's happening is this. Paul is in a situation where Christians are preaching the gospel in order to get him in trouble. And he says, I don't care. I rejoice because Christ is being preached. Chapter 1, verse 26. I'll read from verse 25, actually. Convinced of this, he's talking about dying or or remaining alive but in prison. I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. There he's just simply saying, I'd love to die and be with Jesus. Things are really tough here, but I know I'm going to have to stay, and I know that one of the reasons I'm going to stay is so that I can be with you again, and I'm, I'm, I rejoice in Christ Jesus because of that. Chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write these things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Writing to a church which has a lot of trouble, a lot of division, which has bickering and fighting and uh, splits within it, which has heresy, which has everything else, the whole theme of this letter is summed up in this verse, the way you're going to deal with this is to rejoice in the Lord. Now, no matter who you are, no matter what your circumstances, if you are a Christian, you may be faced with trouble at home. You may be faced with illness. You may be faced with so many different things, but you can rejoice in the Lord. It's not that, what's the advert? Is it the MasterCard, you know, that sings a song? That maybe, oops, there may be trouble ahead, and then the guy kind of gets up and dances around the kitchen table. Let's face the music and dance. That's kind of Christian, but not because we've got an insurance policy. That's right, it's an advert for an insurance company. Not because you've got life insurance in in the sense that the world understands it, but because you have Christ. 
Let's face the music and dance. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 4, we've got it there. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again. Verse 10 of that same chapter, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that you have renewed your concern for me. So, how is it possible to rejoice at all times? It's because our joy is not based upon our personal circumstances. It's not based upon the fact that we're in good health, that our family's doing well, that our job's going great, that we've got plenty of money in the bank, that everything's okay. Our joy, even though these things may cause us to rejoice, and it's not wrong that they cause us to rejoice, and indeed we'd want them, but our joy is not based upon our personal circumstances, but on our fellowship with Christ and the facts about Him. That's why, uh, I mean, that theme goes over and over and over again in the New Testament. And it, it amazes me just how often we miss it. Let's look at John fifteen eleven. Jesus says this, I have told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I have told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The joy of Jesus within us makes our joy complete. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And he then goes on to list what perseverance produces and what that produces and what that produces and so on. So he's saying what Paul says, what Jesus says, what's taught throughout the whole Bible, but particularly the New Testament, is that if you have Jesus Christ, there you have a source for your joy which can never be taken away. And even when you suffer, you can rejoice. Now, if you are a Christian, you, you have to try and grasp what that means and what is involved. Joy is a better word than happiness. It includes happiness, but it's more than happiness. Is it possible to know joy and sorrow in the same thing? Yes. For me, uh, I mean, forgive the personal reference, I feel immensely sad that uh, Risto and Leanne and, and, and Otto are going. Of course I do. I feel really, really sad. Do I feel discouraged and depressed? No. I, th there's a joy there as well. There's a joy for so many things. There's a joy that, that it's, it's great to have uh, brothers and sisters like that. There, there's a joy that, that you can even experience that sorrow of parting. Why? Because of the relationship, because of what's involved, because of who they are. Well, you multiply that a million times in terms of Jesus. Do we feel sad when we're struggling with ill health? Of course we do. Do we feel sad when we're discouraged and depressed? Of course we do. Is it wrong? No, of course it's not. Is it possible to have joy at the same time? Yes, it is. Because we know the one from whom all good things come because of the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 be joyful always. Be joyful always. I don't know who wrote this, but I love it. Joy bubbles, and it sounds like John Piper, so it probably is. Joy bubbles and brims at the heart of God, the heart of reality. 
God is an overflowing fountain of joy, a volcanic explosion of joy, a trillion burning suns of joy. See, we still have this image, don't we? It's, a, it's an image of a painting that someone would have, if you imagine we had it up there, of, of God with this, as an old man with a beard and a very stern face and a finger pointing out of which lightning comes. And it's this image of sternness and everything. And, and when we talk about God being holy and so on, people think, well, that's what we're talking about. No, it's not. That is not what we are talking about at all. There is a joy within God himself, within the Trinity, within Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that we can only ever get a glimpse of. We kind of think, we, we enjoy, and God doesn't. You know, it's that pathetic thing that you will get some people saying sometimes when they say, oh, I don't want to go to heaven, I'd rather go to hell with my mates and, and you know, enjoy life. They have no idea of heaven, they have no idea of hell, they have no idea of God, and they have no idea of what enjoyment is, what real joy is. God is an overflowing fountain of joy, a volcanic explosion of joy, a trillion burning suns of joy. I have told you this, said Jesus, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. What, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, I, I've come and I'm teaching you and I'm going to die for you and I'm going to rise from the dead for you that you may experience the joy that I have, who for the joy, says Hebrews, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. It is a command to be joyful. And for the Christian, we really need to try and work that through and what it means and in terms of our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. There's the quote, sorry. Joy bubbles and brims. George Matheson you know the story of, of Matheson with the loss that he experienced of his eyesight and of his wife and so on. Oh, love that will not let me go. This is my favorite verse of that hymn. Oh, joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain. That morn shall tearless be. Joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. Because some of us have very closed hearts. We're not going to enjoy. We are, we, we know that there is pain. And there's almost a sense in which we either stifle the pain or we wallow in the pain, but we dare not believe in joy. And we are scared to be joyful. We really are, and there are many of us like this saying, well, I'd better not enjoy myself too much because I'll pay for it in the morning. We've adopted again the kind of world's view. We don't believe it's possible to rejoice always. And we have to learn that. I think it's a difficult lesson to learn. What's it like to be joyful always? I'm not talking about the people who've got bubbly personalities. My good friend, David Meredith, I had a, a, a friend who um, we went to visit him, and she was a, a girl who was very bubbly. She was always bubbly. She was effervescent. I mean, she would, the kind of person you want on adverts, you know, advertising clean washing or, you know, flake or something like that, some kind of chocolate. And she was just, you know, boing, boing, bounce, bounce. If you've seen Winnie the Pooh and Tigger, she was Tigger, the female version of Tigger, always bouncing everything and, and just... And there are people like that, and that's a personality. I remember with um, 
went in with her to see David Meredith, and David was less subtle then than he is now, which is not saying much, and we sat down, and he looked at her, and he said, you're very shallow, aren't you? It was true. It was true. It's a very shallow and superficial. It's not, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about just what your personality is. You can be bouncing and exuberant at one level and be ripped apart inside. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is this, that in the most excruciating pain, in the most emotional agony, it is still possible to know the joy of the Lord, the possibility of joy. Augustine said this, the Christian should be a hallelujah from head to foot. Sometimes that hallelujah sounds more like Leonard Cohen than it does gospel music, but it's, it's nonetheless the case that that's where we're at. We praise God from whom all blessings flow. So it's possible to have joy in the Lord. And if you're a Christian, you can know that. And if you're not a Christian, you also can know it. You need to know it, but you need, first of all, to know the Lord. You can't have the joy without the Lord. Let me just briefly go through the two other things I mentioned to the children. We have joy in the Lord, joy in others. Chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now. I pray with joy. I'm thankful to God for other people. What I notice about miserable Christians is their misery is focused almost entirely on themselves. They're unhappy, not really for other people. They're unhappy for themselves. We need to shift the focus away from ourselves. And Paul says, I rejoice, I rejoice in you. I'd uh, give you an example of that. I had a, a good time of fellowship with Jim Turrent from Central Baptist uh, this week. And um, it's not breaking any secrets to say that uh, he was, he, he rejoices when things go well here. And he's sad when maybe things are, are struggling and different things. And we, we share things uh, in, in that way. And it's great when you can rejoice that another Christian is prospering, another Christian is growing, another Christian is developing. A miserable Christian is one who says, well, it can't be real, or why have they got that? Why don't I have that? Chapter 2, verse 2, make my joy like joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. What causes Paul to be joyful? Because he's thinking about others and he's saying, I will be so joyful if you Philippians are working together, if you're like-minded. Chapter 2, verse 29, similar thing where he says this, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him. There should be a joy that we have in being in one another's company, a joy that we have in greeting one another. You know that kind of feeling when, maybe you don't know this, when someone comes to your door and you see them out the window and you're going, oh no, can they work out if I'm in or not? Do, you know, it's just that drunk, sunken feeling and then they come to the door and you go, and you big hypocrite, you go, hi, nice to see you. That's really not what you're thinking. But you do that anyway. Now, I think a lot of times in churches we're saying, oh, I can't go to church. I have to go through that whole thing where I have to be nice to people and pretend I'm enjoying being with them and I'm not really. Well, the solution to that is not to be fake or not to stay away. It's to learn to take a delight in other people, to rejoice in 
other people. Chapter 4, verse 1, therefore, my brothers whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown. What's his crown? Paul's saying his crown is not what he does. It's not his work. His crown is them. He, he just exalts and rejoices in being with them. Find your joy in the Lord, and it's a good indication that your joy is in the Lord if you start rejoicing in others, if you stop being so self-obsessed that you can actually find time in your heart to be happy for other people without any ulterior motive for yourself. You're just happy for them. Joy in yourself. What does the Bible say about that? Well, what does Philippians say about that? Actually, not much. The reason is because if you've got your joy in Jesus and you've got joy in others, you will have joy in yourself. But I think there are certain things that you can take out. Chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, I've read already, I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. You can rejoice about yourself and about your circumstances because whatever happens to you, because of your joy in Jesus, because of your relationship with Jesus, because of your connection with his people, it will turn out for good. All things work together for the good of those who love God. Chapter 2, verse 2, again, that like-mindedness, that one love, that one spirit, that one purpose, you can rejoice that you have that. You can rejoice that it's not about you, it's not about your will, it's not about what you want, it's about what we, as the people of God, do together. In chapter 2, verse 17, even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you, all of you. Here he's saying, even if it's the end, even this is me being washed out, worn out, even this is me, if this is me dying, even if that's happening, I can still rejoice, and I do rejoice. And chapter 3 and verse 20, where he says, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. You wait, and you wait, and you wait for somebody whom you love, for someone who you are dying to meet. It's, um, what was that, the phrase I, I heard being used? Becky and Pete were, said, I've never heard this phrase before, uh, a biblical distance or something, before they're married, a biblical, I didn't know what it was, a Sabbath day's walk is what I suggested, it was a biblical distance, but um, there's, imagine that you were married to someone, or you were engaged to someone, and one of them's in Australia, and the other one's here, and they promise that they're going to come, you wait, and you wait, and you wait, you count it down, you count down the days, and the hours, and the minutes, you know, why? because you anticipate the joy that will be. You are looking forward to it. I know one girl who uh, every day updates on her Facebook how many days till camp. I mean, as a camp leader, I'd love that someone had that degree of enthusiasm about going to camp. Only 45 days till camp. Only 44 days till camp. Only 43 days till camp. You look forward to something like that. The Christian, and, and you can have a joy in anticipation for what is to come. In the same way, we as Christians, we can rejoice, not because every one of our circumstances right now is, is really great, but we can rejoice in anticipation of what is to come, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. 
So it's possible. It's a paradox. It's a complete mystery to the world. How can you be so happy? How can you be so joyful when things seem so bad? When the early Christians were persecuted, and particularly in Nero's time, when Nero sent them to be burnt, and I think in the film Covadis they portrayed this, not very well, but at least they got it basically right. It was written, several times it was written, that the Romans were thoroughly confused, and the Greeks were thoroughly confused by these Christians who, as the flames were lapping around them, were singing hymns of joy. How can you do that? Unless you're completely insane. Unless it's true. Unless it's real. In the pain, did they not feel the pain? Yes. But in the pain, they also saw Jesus Christ. Stephen, as he was being stoned, he looked up to heaven and his face shone because he saw Christ. You're not being stoned, but you may be suffering, but you can still rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice.